You're listening to XVGM Radio.
Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Justin. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 76, The Wonder Swan. Yes, The Wonder Swan, made by Bondi. Interesting little handheld system that we're going to be covering today. Musically, it's a very weird system. Like, mm. I can't quite put my finger on it. And, you know, we'll talk about it in just a minute. But, yeah, the Wonder Swan's a pretty neat little handheld. It's not one that I ever experienced. Well, there's a good reason for that. Yeah, it only came out in Japan. So. Japan, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was always one of those ones that I heard about, you know? Yeah, same. And that's, that's something that, that I found surprising as we were doing the research for this episode. I never realized that it was a Japan exclusive. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I remember hearing about the Wonder Swan and... Uh, I mean, this now explains why I was never able to find one. But, like, <laughs> I wanted a Wonder Swan for a, a good period of time because mm-hmm. they had um, some ports of Final Fantasy and some of the Final Fantasies that we didn't get and uh, and a handful of other things. And I was just like, why can't I find this thing? And I just was too dumb to know that it was <laughs> Japan exclusive. <laughs> I always got it confused with the Neo Geo Pocket Color to the point mm-hmm. where when we were picking tracks for this episode, I was like, <laughs> I was looking for that SNK versus Capcom card game that recently got a port to the Switch. And I was like, like, oh, it'd be fun to cover that. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, wait a minute. Did this not come out on the Wonder Swan? I thought it was a Wonder Swan exclusive. <laughs> Turns out, nope, that's Neo Geo Pocket. So even today, I got it confused. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as the sound that comes out of this thing, I, I agree with you. It does sound strange, although not in a like, oh, I don't like it kind of strange, mm. but more in a, it sounds more advanced than what it should be like mm. there we'll, we'll get into the, the audio hardware later but yeah. like to me when i'm listening to the music from the wonder swan it sounds like there's more channels than i think there really are and it just it sounds like there's more going on than what i'm used to in any other hand like a like a game boy yeah. or, or maybe even a game gear and it's it's weird but yeah it's, it's fun it's strange like you listen to a track off of the wonder swan and almost every single track that we've picked today they all sound different. They don't all sound the mm. same. They all sound very unique and very just bizarre. You know, it's like you can't, <laughs> like a Game Boy track, you could be like, yep, that's a Game Boy track. An NES track, yep, that's an NES track. Even a Game Gear track, you could be like, oh, that's either Game Gear or Master System. Kind of so, hard to yeah, tell yeah. between the two, but you could narrow it down. Like it's either Game Gear or Master System for those two tracks. Mm-hmm. But like the Wonder Swan, like, if you played me a track off of this, I'd be like, uh, is this a Master System track or, like, a Game Boy song? Like, very strange. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the one thing that may be kind of consistent ac- across a lot of these is uh, you're going to hear, because of the the system, you're, you're going to hear a lot of crunchy drums, I think. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, in, in the in the tracks that I found, the, the drums are generally nice and crunchy. Uh, how, very how, staticky. How, how about you? Yeah, yeah. Very staticky. This this track that we came in on was from Pocket Fighter, which got a port to the Wonderswan in 2000. And the track that we played was Beach House, also known as Safril. And uh, the arranger on this one was Norihiko Togashi. And it was by the original Asayo Abe, Yuki Iwai, and Setsuo Yamamoto. Obviously, like, Mm -hmm. legendary Capcom composers there. (laughs) Yeah. One of the reasons why it really stands out to me is that beginning with the drums that kind of bring in the track. And and then it kind of rolls into this very lighthearted beach kind of sound to it. So it, it does nail that beach house vibe to me. But if I had to compare this with anything, the closest thing I can think of is like 
if you took that Woody Woodpecker track that I played, oh, that yeah. beach track, it reminded me of like if that got a port to the master system. Because a lot of it later on in the track sounds very somber, very sad, very, very master system-y. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. It, it definitely has that that uh, that minor tones that you uh, that you talk about with the the master system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what do you think of this one? So, I thought this one was a lot of fun. Uh, the opening, uh, I, I I got kind of like a soaring, like a, a very floaty feeling, which which was, which was really cool. And it, it it didn't. I don't remember the music from the Pocket Fighter games all that well, but it, like as as I was listening to the opening, I was like, this doesn't feel like what I what I remember like the Pocket Fighter music being. Like mm. this feels a lot more like just happy floaty type of uh, type of thing but as as it went on and as it got more into it I, I i kind of got a little bit more of that feel the baseline on on this one i thought was kind of interesting it wasn't particularly powerful but it was uh, it, it was fun in what it was doing mm. and, and then I, I already mentioned like we're gonna hear a lot of crunchy drums and that's like i i was i was really enjoying just like the the bass "Quote unquote kick and the uh, and, and the the static snare." Mm. This is a port of the PlayStation and arcade and Sega Saturn game uh, to the Wonder Swan, obviously because it's a handheld port of a uh, much more graphically and engine intensive game. This one is scaled back quite a bit to be able to fit onto the oh. uh, the Wonder Swan. I believe it still has about eight characters that you can choose from, but Ooh. it's basically like Street Fighter combined with uh, the Super Puzzle Fighter game, where when you attack your character, gems pop out, and then you gotta like collect the gems, and the gems make you more powerful, that sort of thing. There's characters from Street Fighter, there's characters from Darkstalkers, there's a Red Earth character named Tessa, and uh, then I believe there might be some secret characters as well. So, yes. Pretty neat. I, I mean, I watched a little bit of gameplay footage of this, and it looks pretty cool, but I mean, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I could just go play Pocket Fighter. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe back then I would have been more intrigued to play it, but like looking at it now, I'm like, I'll just play it on my like the Street Fighter Alpha anthology on the PS2. So I would just play it on that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Real quick, the um, Woody Woodpecker track that you were thinking of it was Episode 59 VGM in Motion. Ah, okay. I knew it was like something fairly recent, not yeah, not yeah. not that far back as as <laughs> far as kart racers, but it is a kart racer. So there you go. Starting off with the arranger, Norihiko Togashi started out doing music translation on March and Maze in 1990, uh, and a bunch of their credits here are sound creator, sound effect, but as far as music composition goes, uh, Final Blaster in 1990, Super Wagonland in 1991, they're credited as Music Brother, mm. Kamen Rider in 1993, Kran Shinchan Arashi Oyobu Enji in 1993, and their, their last music composition credit is Disney's Bonkers in 94. Hmm. Uh, their, their last sound credit is for sound effect in Disaster Report in 2002. Seems like they bounced back and forth between a lot of different companies, Capcom, Namco, like Namco Bandai, even Sunsoft. So kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then the original composition part, we have uh, Isao Abe, and they started out doing sound design in Street Fighter II The World Warrior in 1991, mm-hmm. went out to do music sound in Knights of the Round in 1991, and uh, we're just going to jump up more recently here. Uh, they were the guitarist in Beautiful Joe 2 in 2004, nice. and their most recent composition is for Devil May Cry 4 Refrain in 2011. Okay, so still staying with... 
Capcom. Yeah, a lot of those Capcom composers ended up leaving and going to like Platinum Games too. So it's kind of mm -hmm. interesting how that worked. Yuki Iwai, we've definitely talked about before. Uh, their first composition for Capcom was Gargoyles Quest II in 92. And then they did, uh, let's jump around here, Final Fight 2. They worked on the music for that in 93. Tech Romancer in 1998. And one final track for them. Looks like their last game that they worked on, according to our records, is R-Type Tactics 2 Operation Bitter Chocolate in 2009. And Setsuo Yamamoto is a legendary composer for Capcom. <laughs> Uh, starting off with music design for Street Fighter II The Champion Edition uh, in 1993, most likely handling arrangement for that. Uh, they're credited for music design there. Uh, they were one of the composers on Mega Man X in 1993, Mega Man II The Power Fighters in 96, Rival Schools in 1998, and uh, we'll do something a little bit more recent. One of their last composition credits is for... Project Justice in 2000, and then shortly after that, they did some arrangements on Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix in 2007, and everything after that for their credits is Sound Management or Sound Coordinator, which was their final credit for Resident Evil 3 last year in 2020, the remake. Hmm, all right. Yeah. So we'll talk about Wonderswan, and uh, we got a bunch of stats and information about the sound chip and everything. But I figure we'll uh, we'll get into Justin's first pick for this episode. Sounds good. So this uh, th this is a series that has that has had different releases in different places. It is Cho Aniki Otoko no Tamafuda, which was a Wonderswan exclusive in 2000. The track is simply BGM number 15, and the composers on this, I believe, are Koji Hayama and Shigeki Hayashi. We'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back from that first track. That was from Cho Aniki Otoko no Tamafuda, the 2000 Wonder Swan exclusive, composed by Koji Hayama and Shigeki Hayashi, and that was BGM number 15. So Cho Aniki is uh, that's that uh, that naked dude game, right? <laughs> yeah, naked dude. It's um, <laughs> it, it's a fighting game with large bare-chested men i guess <laughs> muscly dudes yeah like I've, I've heard of it before 
Although, I mean, Cho Aniki, I'm pretty sure, is a semi-common phrase in Japanese. Mm. So maybe I just heard the term, but yeah, no. It, when, I, when I was taking a look uh, to get more information for it, Cho Aniki is Japanese for Super Big Brother. And <laughs> there are a lot of Cho Aniki games. I mean, the PSP had a whole bunch. Maybe they, it's they like look- one of those like adult film sort of things, you know? <laughs> like, Super Big Bro, like... Super big bro, I'm stuck in the washing machine again. Like oh, one of those geez. things. I don't think so, but uh, I mean, no. you look at you look at some of these. Co- you look at some of the cover art here, and uh, I, you could be forgiven for for thinking <laughs> that because I mean, a lot of the the cover art is just large, muscly men in nothing but a speedo. Yeah, I mean, that's the Cho Aniki way, <laughs> if you will. I mean, oh, that's yeah. just how this franchise has always come across, is just big, muscly dudes doing big, muscly things. Some of the games that I've seen are very, what's the word? Risky. There's a lot of things expanding that look like digital giblets, digital male giblets, if you will. Hmm, a lot, there's a lot of homoerotic overtones, wacky humor, yes. and very like vivid, surreal imagery. Yeah, yeah. That's... I, uh, I, 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 I don't want to offend anybody with the with with saying something like that. So, like, I didn't know if that term homoerotic was still offensive. I so didn't know I was, it was like, ever offensive. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna let Justin say it. I'm gonna allude to it and just like <laughs> let's just pin all this on Justin. So you could send your angry letters to Justin at xvgmradio.geocities.gov. I, I grow in power the more angry emails I get. But yeah, I, I, I was never aware of the word homoerotic as being offensive. Like it, it's it's how things are described when it's yeah. you know male on male things and female on female things. <laughs> yes. I just didn't want to roll the dice, Justin. You I never you. know these days. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Um, <laughs> playing playing it safe. That's right. I mean, some some I, of these games have like really weird characters. Like uh, Choniki Bakuretu Ranto Hen has a character named Uminin who is an odd latex creature that resembles a prophylactic. Oh, fun. Yeah, so, you know. Got to gotta keep your fighting games safe, safe yeah. like, you know, wrap that rascal, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, so this, this game, though, is actually the first handheld version of a Choaniki game. So oh. Wonderswan got, got the very first. Of, of course, it had to be Wonderswan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I completely miss, misspoke earlier. I, I think I said that these were fighting games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's totally wrong, <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, the okay. Chowaniki games are actually 2D shooters. The the characters, uh, you know, they're flying through whatever scene, be it space or planetary, and they're, they're shooting things. But this game is not. This is a... Huh card-fighting RPG. Ah, see, that fits more in line with Wonderswan, yes. because Wonderswan and Neo Geo Pocket, they had so many of those, like, card-battling <laughs> RPG-type games. Yeah, yeah, so this this is one of them, and uh, boy, is it weird, but, uh, I mean, get, getting away from the weirdness of the gameplay, how about that music? Because I... Very repetitive. Uh, I mean, yes, <laughs> but... <laughs> Outside of the repetitiveness, uh, I, I have a feeling that you probably weren't a big fan of this, but there was a lot in this one that I that I really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, hmm. right off the bat, you've got that like that super buzzy bass. That, that's I think what really drew me into the into the track and really got me like jiving with it. Um, mm. The track itself kind of reminds me of, and we talked about this once a while back, but going all the way back to episode two, the uh, Toa Plan episode, that we had a, a track from a game called Techie Pocky. And ah, yes. The sounds in this remind me a lot of 
how that track was put together. Um, hmm. there, there's, you know, the, that buzzy bass. There's these these uh, synths that are switching from left to right every, every time they they do their thing. And then there's right. just this sound. And I, 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 can't, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like, I just wrote down crunch, question mark. Like, <laughs> it's just like this weird noise. And I'm a sucker for weird noises like that, especially when, you know, they go with the song. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about this one. I like the chippy nature to this. It sounds very chip oriented. Oh yeah. Like it just it has that chip tune vibe to it. But the loop to me is very short and I feel like this would be a really good character select track. Hmm. In fact, it I'm almost certain it is. <laughs> if it's Probably. not, then I'd be shocked. But it fit it's just like got that really nice bounce to it, you know, with dun 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 da, 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 dun it's almost like circus music mixed with like salsa. It's weird. Mm, um, okay. because when you throw in that bass, that buzzy bass with the du, 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 it, it kind of goes back and forth between these really high end melodies and then these low end crunch to yeah. the uh, to the bass. It's 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 a unique track. It's pretty neat, but I uh, I just don't know how to feel about it mostly cuz it just doesn't change enough for me. You know what I mean? But That's fair. I think if I knew what this was from, I think I'd have more ability to cope with it so to speak like understand like oh okay this is a character select theme got it perfect absolutely makes sense great track but if you were like this is the main theme of the game that you'll hear while you're playing for five hours straight i'd be like who why why so i mean we'll, that's we take a look at the rest of the now. game and it makes sense yeah <laughs> but yeah no i i think you're right i think this might be the the character select track but who who knows uh, not me i've never never seen it <laughs> Never played, never played it. No, but nope, um, nope, nope. these composers. So I mentioned earlier that uh, Koji Hayama and Shigeki Hayashi are likely the composers, and I say that mm-hmm. because there weren't a lot of places to find information. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is going to be a recurring theme that we probably won't talk a lot about it. But finding the music and finding composers for a lot of these tracks was very difficult. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I found on a website called RPGFan.com, they listed the these these folks as composers and arrangers. So okay. to uh, to touch on Koji Hayama, they started doing music in a game called Soul Bianca in 1990, and they have a handful of things, some of them more up to date. But we also have Moto Rotor MC in 1992 that did music, uh, Cyber Speedway in 1995, Front Mission 3 in 1999. I'm familiar with that one. Uh, yep. Mega Man ZX Advent in 2000 they did music. And, oh wow! Okay, so yeah. still pretty recent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, as recent as Super Smash Brothers for Wii U in 2014, they, uh, nice. they did some music arrangement on that. Yeah. And then Shigeki Hayashi started out doing sound on Evolution Worlds in 2002. Did some music composition in Hudson Selection Volume Two Star Soldier uh, in 2003, uh, and then we've got Knights in the Nightmare 2008 and battle sound effects in Tears to Tiara 2, Air of the Overlord in 2014, and finally, music in Utawareru Mono Zen in 2018. All right, let's move into our next track. This is a port of Mega Man and Bass, also known as Rockman and Forte on the Super Famicom. This is Rockman and Forte Mirai Kara no Chosensha that came out in the Wonder Swan in 1999. This track is called Opening Stage, and it's by Toshihiko Horiyama, Naoshi Mizuta, and Akari Kaida. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for joining us back on our Wonder Swan episode. This track that we just played was from Rockman and Forte, Mirai Kara no Chosensha. And that came out on the Wonder Swan in 1999. That was opening stage, and it's by Toshihiko Horiyama, Nayushi Mizuta, and Akari Kaida. I had a lot of trouble trying to find out information about this one in terms of if it's a if it's a port or if it's a sequel. Hmm. Um, yeah, some of the language used on the internet about this one makes it seem like it is a sequel, but wow. I don't think so. Like, if you look on Wiki- Wikipedia, it seems to have a plot that is different from other sources. Like, on Moby Games, for example, they state that uh, it's about a robot named King that's taken over Dr. Wily's base. But on the Wikipedia page for this game, it makes it sound like it is a sequel involving somebody named Rockman Shadow, not to be confused with Quint from the Game Boy Mega Man games. I guess Dr. Wily sees this like evil version of Mega Man, Rockman Shadow, and ends up sending Face to, I don't know, fight him as well. So you could choose between, I believe, Mega Man and Base, just like in the Rockman and Forte or Mega Man and Base game. Depending on which version you play, Super Famicom or Game Boy Advance, really doesn't matter as far as that goes. But yeah, this one, it was hard to peg down as far as the plot or like where this fits in the Mega Man canon, but basically all you need to know is that it fits in the same vein of the Rockman and Forte game. That's pretty cool, actually. So it it seems like this is... Uh, kind of another Wonder Swan exclusive, assuming that it's yeah. not support, but it doesn't doesn't look like it's support. Kind of. I mean, this track, which I love, by the way, mm-hmm. this track is a it's song that was also on the Mega Man and Bass or Rockman and Forte soundtrack, but obviously redone for the Wonder Swan. That buzz and crunch to that bass. <laughs> Uh, as well as the the tempo of the track is faster, in my opinion, than the than the Super Famicom version, which has a more jazz vibe to it. Mm. It's got like da 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 It's got more of like a slowed down samba jazz dance kind of vibe to it that keeps the the tempo of the track very fast on this version. This one definitely speeds it up and adds a bit more crunch to that bass and the melodies themselves sound a lot sweeter than they did on the Super Famicom. I really dug this version of this song, but I'm curious about what your thoughts are on it. So this one was interesting. I kind of enjoyed it, but I'll I'll say the the only reason that I didn't enjoy it was because my brain was doing a thing throughout the song. So what happened in my head is it felt like this was a Mega Man track or like a uh, an arrangement of that track from Rockman and Forte, but it was arranged by a modem or it was a modem <laughs> dialing into AOL. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, there were, I can respect that. There, there were a lot of uh, a lot of modem like sounds, and every time they came in, my brain just went, bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, as if it were dialing into AOL in the nineties. <laughs> and uh, okay, it it didn't. I wouldn't say it killed it for me, but it definitely like every time those sounds came up, like I I was I, I started laughing, and it, it made it hard to focus on the rest of it. 
Again, this one feels very, very chippy, like uh, just uh, just like the last track. I mean, not for the same reasons at all, but especially when you compare it to like the Super Famicom or the, the, the Game Boy Advance version, uh, I think, that came out. Yes, yes. Which was just a port of the Super Famicom version with like a shrunken down exactly. like yeah. level, you know? Yeah, yeah. But everything else, I believe, was the same. But in this one, you face off against Dangan Man, Komaso Man, Aircon Man, and Conro Man. And then eventually you can challenge Clockmen, Compassmen, and our Shadow, or Rockman Shadow right. himself. Hmm. So did you say Aircon Man? So the Aircon Man, yes. So the, there's just like a, a an AC in a window that you have to fight. <laughs> I it's guess very clearly air know. conditioning. <laughs> Air conditioning, man. That's I funny. don't know. Yeah, it very weird bosses in this one. And again, this is what leads me to believe that this is a sequel because even mm -hmm. though it's using like the music from the first Rockman and Forte game, there's a lot of things in this one that aren't in that game. Like for example, yeah, you have Rush, you've got Eddie, you've got Tango and Beat in this one, which Tango, you really didn't see that often. Um, mm. Tango was mostly in the, the Game Boy games, yes. if I recall. Mega Man 5 for Game Boy, but they did have Tango in a cameo on Mega Man 10. Hmm. But other than that, the only two games that Tango appears in is Mega Man 5 and this game that we're talking about today. Huh. And then finally, and this is gonna really throw you back, Remember when we talked about Wiley and Wright, no rock board, that's paradise? Yeah. Oh, no, board we talked about it too. on the board card games, too. You're correct. <laughs> so there's another character that was exclusive to that game named Reggae, and that's a oh. bird-type support robot. Mm -hmm. So very, very weird that uh, th this game is as far as that goes. It got terrible reviews, by the way. Like, <laughs> a lot of people are saying it's, like, the worst oh. Mega Man game ever. Worse than the so, MSX Mega Man? Wow. I guess maybe worse than the PC games back in the day and apparently worse oh, than that's what I meant. Um, yes. Super Rockman Adventure or whatever that came out in the PS1. That's supposedly one of the worst Mega Man games ever. Let's go over these composers real quick. Uh, Toshihiko Horiyama started off with Mega Man X as the primary or one of the primary composers, uh, then followed it up with uh, un an uncredited listing for Demon's Crest in 94. They worked on a lot of Mega Man stuff. Uh, the Mega Man Battle Network 4 games, Blue Moon and Red Sun in 2003. Then uh, Mega Man Powered Up in 2006. They were the composer on that, pretty much like arranging stuff and then maybe creating a few new tracks for a couple new levels. But other than that, they've also worked on Resident Evil Revelations 2 and Phoenix Wright. They did a couple Phoenix Wright games. Their final game, Sound Design on Resident Evil 3 Remake last year. Naoshi Mizuta has a bunch of other credits as well with Capcom. Street Fighter Alpha Warriors Dreams in 95. Resident Evil 2, back in the day they did Sound Cooperate on. Composition-wise, it looks like they moved over to Squaresoft or Square Enix, doing stuff like Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy in 2012. Final Fantasy The Four Heroes of Light in 2009, and then just continuing to work on Final Fantasy games. Looks like they work on mostly like stuff outside of the box, like outside of the main franchise, um, with their latest game being Final Fantasy Dimensions 2 in 2017. Finally, Akari Kaida started off with Street Fighter Alpha Warriors Dreams in 95. Uh, I'm going to try to pick some other stuff that wasn't talked about, like Cyberbot's Full Metal Madness in 95, Onimusha 3 Demon Siege in 2004, uh, Okami in 2006, Luminous Arc in 2007. They did a bunch of Mega Man stuff as well, mostly for the Battle Network series, but their final game that they composed for so far is Samurai Jack Battle Through Time in oh. 2020. Nice, nice. 
Mm-hmm. So weird, neat little game from the Mega Man series. Looks like we're getting a call on our caller request hotline. So Janine, go ahead and forward that over to us. Caller, you are on the air with XVGM Radio. Who is this and what can we play for you? Wait, Zato's from Guilty Gear, right? Well, Zato, uh, that sounds like a plan. Uh, did you have a track in mind? No, I just want to hear something. I need to get pumped up, and we all know that Guilty Gear music is the best. <laughs> well, it is pretty good stuff, you're right. Well, Zato, why don't we play a track called Feel a Fear, also known as Zato 1 from Guilty Gear Petite 2, which came out in the Wonder Swan color in 2001. Does that does that sound good for you? Perfect. All right. That track was composed by Takayuki Nakamura. Let's hit it.
Right, welcome back. That was Feel a Fear, Zada 1's theme from Guilty Gear Petite 2, which was a Wonderswan color exclusive in 2001, and that was composed by Takayuki Nakamura. That was, uh, that was something. <laughs> yeah. Did you not like that one? I, I don't know how I feel about that one. The beginning definitely threw me for a loop. You know, here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Similar to how you felt about that previous track with, like, some of the more, like, chirpy, kind of, like, AOL modem yeah, type things, yeah. that was very prominent in this, in the beginning, and then, like, maybe more in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those parts definitely kind of turned me off on the track, but, like, I held out for the uh, for the more crunchy, uh, really rocking, like, the really, like, crunchy heavy metal stuff that Guilty Gear is known for but on a chiptune level. And I I was digging that, but, like, it's, I like this track because it did so much, but the things it did, I don't know if I'm that big of a fan of. Okay. Um, so it's it's kind of a mixed bag for me. But w- what about you? No, that, I think that's that's pretty fair. So th- th- I, have a, I've, I have a lot of thoughts on this track, actually. Um, <laughs> there there's a, there's a lot of really cool things. I also agree there are some things that kind of turned me off from it. I'd say like right around the middle of the track where like the the drum sound effects get get really kind of intense. It felt way better to me like from from there on and I feel like mm. part of it's because I'm so used to, like we did an entire episode on, on Guilty Gear music and like there is a a, a feel to guilt to Guilty Gear music. There's a sound to Guilty Gear music and that mm. sound isn't really based in chip tunes. So agreed. The, the fact that this is a a chip tune track kind of threw me and it didn't feel very guilty gear for most of it but when that drum part got really got, got more intense that that's where it kind of started feeling a little bit more guilty gear to me anyway mm. i i like uh, a bit of what they were doing with the stereo effects in the beginning there's a whole thing that was big on youtube years and years ago where people were, were doing music with floppy drives yes that's oh, what this, yes. that's, this reminded me of like the, the sounds the buzzing just it sounds yes. like those floppy drives and um, absolutely it, uh, it it also it also kind of reminds me of there there's a, an artist we might have talked about this before um, th- there's an artist on bandcamp uh, named master boot record their stuff is kind of like chip to I, it's hard to explain all I know is I love it um, the, okay. the, the music itself is is actually like they, they they do albums for like a dollar so like you can listen to yeah. music for free on bandcamp or you can buy the albums really cheap but they they've done like covers of I think there's a an album called Juarez and it's all like covers of like video game music or other like kind of famous tunes and then the rest of it's oh, cool just all all original and it, it has kind of that a similar sound to it like the floppy drive sound but mm. it's all done with I think it's a sound blaster I can't remember what card it is but it's all digital like computer synthetic sound and it's really really fun uh, go check that out at some point that's pretty cool yeah so this is actually a sequel to mm-hmm. an earlier Wonderswan Color Guilty Gear game. Yep, yep, Guilty Gear Petite 2 is a sequel to Guilty Gear Petite. Not really a whole lot to talk about as far as the game goes. I mean, it's a Guilty Gear game, it's a fighting game. 
there's actually not a whole lot of information around the story, so uh, I just assume, you know, Ka Kaikisuke, Soul Bad Guy, at uh, all are fighting because that's what they do. <laughs> right, right, right. But this game, interesting feature, there was an online service for the PS2, or that, that you could use the PS2 uh, way, way back, and you could connect to that with this game to unlock... I don't remember. I don't know if it's characters, but there's a, a game link feature for Guilty Gear X Plus on the PS2. Um, and you oh, that's could, pretty neat. Yeah, so this game could game link to that game using that online service, which was kind of neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All the characters in this, though, look like chibi versions or SD versions yes. of uh, the main characters. Kind of like Pocket Fighter, actually. I exactly, yes. Uh, very, right. very much so. Uh, and uh, it, it's got... I think only one original character and the rest are all normal. So the the traditional Guilty Gear characters in here are Soul Bad Guy, Kaiskiske, Mei, Faust, Potemkin, Chip is enough, Zata One, Milia Rage, Axel Lowe, Johnny, Testament and Venom are hidden characters, Jam is in here, Mito Anji, and then the original character who was actually in the first petite game is Fanny, and she's like a nurse. Uh, she's got like a giant syringe, um, and she, I believe, is only in Guilty Gear Petite 1 and 2. Ah, okay. All right. That sounds familiar, because I feel like there is a syringe-based character in another Guilty Gear game. Me too, actually. Yeah. It's definitely not her. It, it might be the person that she... She has a connection to Dr. Baldhead, which is Faust. I mean, Faust has a syringe, technically. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I feel, like, oh, well. I feel like you're right. I feel like there's a female... Uh, there's another female character with a syringe somewhere in the Guilty Gear series. I also feel like I'm maybe confusing it with Morrigan when she dresses up as a nurse, too. <laughs> she has that giant syringe. Syringe as well. Yep, yeah, yeah. you you might be so that's that possible. <laughs> that's a possibility. Very neat. And then the composer is just the mainline composer, isn't it? For uh, Guilty Gear? No, because the mainline composer is uh, what's his name? Daisuke Ishiwatari. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. Then who's this guy? So this guy is the uh, the series <laughs> composer for the for both of the Petite games. He did Petite One ah, too. Okay. His name is Takeyuki Nakamura, and he started out doing game music in ESWAT City Under Siege in 1990, and has a lot of a lot of really cool credits to his name. Uh, did music on Tobal 2 in 1997. Did music in Custom Robo Arena in 2006. Uh, sound effects and music designer in WWE Raw in two, uh, two in 2003, uh, and then just coming up, like he's still working. His most recent music composition credit looks to be Family Party, 30 Great Games, Obstacle and Arena in 2012, uh, but he has done sound direction on Shenmue 3 in 2019. All right, next up on my picks is from a game called Gunpei EX. There's a, a very specific reason why it has that name, but we'll get into that after the break. This is from the Wonderswan Color in 2000, and this track was called Stage Music, and it's by an unknown composer. Thank you. 
All right, welcome back. That was from Gunpei EX. That came out on the Wonderswan Color as a launch title in 2000, and that was stage music by an unknown composer. So the reason why you may be saying Gunpei, wait a minute, why does that sound familiar? We're, we're going to get into that in just a second, but I want to know what you thought about this track, Justin. This was another weird one, Mike. You are <laughs> uh, you, you're picking some of the weird tracks this evening. What, what? Uh, yeah, if that's what you're into. <laughs> no. So, uh, <laughs> hey, you about? picked Shoaniki, so. <laughs> I mean, that's a, yeah, okay, fine, fair. <laughs> <laughs> the tempo on this one was really, like, fast and frantic, which I liked. I dug it overall. The bass line was, was really repetitive. It's weird to hear me complain about something being repetitive, because, like, I like techno, and I, <laughs> I like a lot of stuff that tends to be repetitive, but the prominence of the bass line and the quick repetitiveness of it made it a little bit odd, but I mm. think it kind of went with a lot of the other stuff that was in there. Um, I particularly liked, I don't know how to describe this, so like I, I called it like the tinkle sound effect that goes from like left to right. Maybe twinkle is a, is, is a better descriptor. Um, <laughs> than tinkle? Than tinkle, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> We're not talking about something else. Yeah, here. no. <laughs> But I, I did like that, and I, I liked a lot of the sounds that they were using. The one thing that really threw me is, I'll call it the free jazz section that happened, where it's just like <laughs> everything kind of went out the window, and I was just like, yeah. what? what's going on here? But it only lasted for a few seconds a couple before seconds. it brought, came back, and I was like, okay, I can, I can deal with that. I want to call that section the virus section. Ah, uh, okay. Because okay. it feels like the track got a virus yeah yeah and it's like trying to fight it and then it like goes back into like the yeah i don't know this reminded me of something that you'd hear in like maybe like a mega man game maybe okay. i don't know i was really vibing on this one first off i love the whole techno trance you know really hard hitting bass drum with the doom do, do, do. It almost sounded like yeah. strong bad, like do, 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 do. <laughs> I yes, was waiting yes. for it. I was waiting for it. But uh, I really like that call and answer kind of melody that they had going on, where it's a da -na 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 -na, and then the other you're like da -na 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 -na. Yeah. It, it very much triggered memories of playing really frantic puzzle games when you get to a part of the puzzle game where like stuff's going down and like you know you really gotta hurry up and I don't know that much about this game and nor have I played it. I know that there were versions of it that did release on like later systems like the DS and the PSP, but Gunpei overall started off as a tribute to the Wonderswan creator Gunpei Yokoi. His name may be more familiar to you if you are a big Nintendo fan. He helped create Metroid, Kid Icarus, the Game Boy, Game & Watch. He helped invent the cross-shaped D-pad, the control pad. So kind of a major innovator for Nintendo. But he also unfortunately created the Virtual Boy. So he left Nintendo shortly after that. He started working on the Bandai Wonderswan, but unfortunately he got into a car accident and died unexpectedly. So it's unfortunate. Yeah. So the Wonderswan was released after his death in 1999, originally as the Bandai Wonderswan, and then later it was updated to the Wonderswan Color in 2000, and then a final revision of the Wonderswan Color was called the Swan Crystal, uh, and that was released with an improved LCD screen and a lower price point. The entire line uh, was eventually decommissioned in 2003. Yeah, the original release for the Wonderswan had nine different console colors for the first handheld's release. Mm. So it came in pearl white, skeleton green, which sounds really cool, yeah. silver metallic, skeleton red, 
blue metallic, skeleton blue, skeleton black, camouflage, and gold. There were three special edition version colors as well, which were two-tone, which were called Frozen Mint, Sherbert Melon, and Soda Blue. They have, like, the best color names. Yeah, those are awesome. I want one now. Yeah, right? Yeah. The Wonderswan color launched with its own set of colors, Pearl Blue, Pearl Pink, Crystal Black, Crystal Blue, and Crystal Orange. So, yes, man, these are awesome. <laughs> I know, right? And then the Swan Crystals colors were Blue Violet, Wine Red, Crystal blue and crystal black. Hmm. That's a lot to collect. If any, if anybody is interested in collecting the Wonder Swan and all of its <laughs> colors, like the Game Boy colors and whatnot, that that's a lot. And I'm sure there's somebody out there. Probably, <laughs> and uh, I'm yeah. sure these are not cheap. So, no. I think this is a good time to roll into our next track here. Absolutely. So we will hear from a game called Wild Card. This is a square game that came out in 2001 for the Wonderswan Color. The track is BGMO3, and I had a hard time finding a composer, but I think it was composed by Kenji Ito. Welcome back to our Wonder Swan extravaganza. <laughs> that was Wildcard from the Wonder Swan Color in 2001. BGM03 was the track, and I am mostly sure that it was composed by Kenji Ito. Nice. But I want to know, I, I have some fun thoughts on this one, but I want to hear your thoughts first. It felt like an RPG battle theme. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe that I got from, from this one. You know, it kind of starts off frantic with the kind of stuff going back and forth. Uh, but then it kind of slows down the pace at points where it's like, it almost like it stops in its tracks where it's like, da-na-na-na-da. And then it kicks back in with like more crazy music. But again, really hard to pin down the sound of this because previous tracks that we listened to, a lot of them had very crunchy bass and, you know, very yeah. buzzy bass. This, I felt like the bass just kind of went along with the melodies plus very little in the way of drums as well so 
Yeah, that's one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about this track is I can't pick out any drums whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there was any percussion sounds really in this. It was all ensemble. Yeah, seems like it was made or designed to be like an orchestral track done without any kind of percussion, mostly like woodwinds and horns, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the two main thoughts that I have around this track is that opening... Um, every time I've listened to this track, all I can hear is Bowser's Castle from Super Mario Brothers 1. Like, it's it's <laughs> definitely more involved and a little bit more complicated, sure. but like, and that's all I can hear. And it, it's kind of neat to hear it in like a different light almost. Mm-hmm. And then it's just an opener. Like, the loop is the rest of what we hear there. And that's the part that, like, I like the opening, but I find the rest of it really interesting because to me it feels like you're absolutely right like a, like an RPG battle music but it feels like they took like Final Fantasy battle music and mashed it up with Castlevania music okay like it, it almost has like a baroqueish feel to it yeah I can and get I, that I was wondering if you uh, if, if, if you would think that or disagree I uh, I don't disagree I do catch that now that you mention it definitely feels like something that may have been on like a Game Boy track like maybe like a Castlevania mm. Legends. I could picture oh, okay. this on something like that. Yeah, I could, I could picture something like this in a game like that. I mentioned that I think this is a Kenji Ito track, and I say that because we couldn't find any credits for the game. The only reason that I think it's Kenji Ito is when I was looking around for the music from this game, I found a Reddit post that credited it to him. Mm-hmm. So it may not be Kenji Ito, but our options are Kenji Ito or Unknown Composer, so I'd rather tell you a little bit about Kenji Ito here. Okay. So Kenji Ito started out doing music composition on Final Fantasy Legend 2 in 1990, also known to some as uh, the Saga games, and went on to do a ton for Square. Mm. Saga Frontier in 1997, Tobol Number 1 in 1996. They did music arrangement in Cold Sept Saga in 2008. All the way up to even last year, they were doing music composition in Hero Must Die again. So they're very prolific and pretty well-known to the Square world. Neat. So. so let's get back into talking about the Wonderswan. Right before the Wonderswan Color was released, the Game Boy Advance was announced with much more impressive hardware, which was ultimately the downfall of the Wonderswan. Yeah. The price point on the Wonderswan, interestingly enough, was always intentionally low. But unfortunately, Bandai could only capture like 8% of the Japanese handheld market. And like you said, once the Game Boy Advance launched, the handheld just faded into obscurity. Yeah, there was a North American release that was planned with Mattel, which I didn't realize until I started doing research for this episode. But unfortunately, they decided to back down, most likely because of the Nintendo handheld juggernaut. Though it's always been considered that Squaresoft's return to Nintendo handhelds with the Game Boy Advance was also a huge factor, since Squaresoft were releasing unique ports of the first four Final Fantasy games, and they were an early adopter and supporter of the Wonderswan. Yeah, that was actually one of the things that got me into trying to figure out how to get a Wonderswan or what it was when I was uh, in high school, because we never got two or three over here. Our, our two and three were was actually four and six. Mm-hmm. And then I'd seen that like one, two, three, and four were on the Wonderswan, and they looked almost 
SNES level graphics. Yeah. So I was like, obviously before the GBA release, so I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, how, how can I get one? And never realized that it was just not possible for 16-year-old Justin. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of games from the Wonderswan ended up ported over to the Game Boy Advance anyways. So, you know, mm. makes sense. You had something uh, interesting about the batteries, though, right? Yeah, it was some of the research that I was doing. I found that all three versions of the Wonderswan ran on a single AA battery. The original Wonderswan could get 40 hours out of a single AA, and then, you know, with the color and the crystal, those got cut down a bit. But they still had really good battery life on a single AA battery, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, this game system was very budget-friendly, so it definitely tried to save you some coins so that way you weren't spending as much with batteries. But, you know, it was also sold at a very cheap price. So, you know, it's compared to Nintendo handhelds and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the handhelds sold a total of 3.5 million units with 1.5 million of that being for the Wonderswan and 1.1 million of that being for the Wonderswan Color. And the remaining amount most likely makes up the Swan Crystal. So I'd probably say the Swan Crystal is the most rare of all of them. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move into Namco Super Wars, which came out in the Wonderswan Color in 2002. This is BGM-04, and it's by an unknown composer.
Are you tired of being injured just because of who you are? Aren't we all? Well, except me. Why? Because I'm Steve McQuack, owner and head lawyer at Positive Duck Injury Lawyers. Every day, wonder swans get injured doing the most meaningless tasks. Screwing in light bulbs on a tall ladder, broken wing. Roller skating on the freeway, severed bill. Firing at the gun range, decimated webbed foot. And hey, we get it. Are you a swan of a handheld gaming system? The world may never know, but you shouldn't have to suffer. So call us today for a free quote so you aren't swimming in medical bills. We're here for you because remember, we care. Call 203-999-9999 today for your free estimate and remember to tell them Steve McQuack sent you. Please note, live agents will call you back to document your case. Please have injuries taken care of prior to calling. We are not a hospital. Utah residents, get your phone's permission before calling. This might be the stupidest idea for a commercial yet. Void in Utah. All right, we are back on our Wonder Swan extravaganza episode. This was Namco Super Wars, which came out on the Wonder Swan Color in 2002. This is more of a later release. This track was called BGM-04, and it's by an unknown composer. This, honestly, sounds the most rich mm. and vibrant of all the tracks that we've played in terms of the tone. I mean, gone are the more, like, mobile phone, chip tone, kind of AOL modem sounds, and instead what we have is probably... I'd say the closest that any track has come to this sound is probably the Rockman and Forte track. Hmm. So I was really impressed sound-wise with this one, but I felt like it had a good, like, beat to it. You know, like... There wasn't really any drums, but I could, like, create a beat in my head that would go along with that bass line. The doom, 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 doom. Kind of gets, like, really stuck in your head pretty quickly. And as the track goes on, it has a lot more flourishes that kind of take place, like like yeah, that yeah. type of stuff. And I really was enjoying that. It, it brought out a lot of like RPG kind of elements to the soundtrack with this song in particular, but I was really, really digging this song. Yeah, I actually really have to agree. I didn't have a whole lot to say about this song other than like, Compared to a lot of the other stuff that we've listened to, this this track feels a lot softer to me. Mm. But this is also, I think, the first track of this episode that I just enjoyed from start to finish. Like, this was nice to listen to from yes. go to to the very end. There, there's nothing in here that I can pick out as like, oh, I didn't like this, or that threw me off, or like this was silly. Right. It was just a really nice track. Yeah, well composed, yeah. well arranged for the sound. Just overall really strong and I don't know if it was because it was a late release and maybe they had more time to learn how to compose on this handheld but if that's the case maybe developers should have waited a little bit with some of these songs and I don't mean to like poo poo on this at all I am enjoying this episode overall despite like some of the more like weird creepy cranky (laughs) kind of sounds but like overall, it's just a fun mixed bag of music to listen to and to explore. So it's been a, a moment, yeah, if you will. Com- completely agreed. So Namco Super Wars is a tactical RPG 
and it's developed by Namco, published by Bandai. So you can kind of see the beginning of Namco and Bandai's relationship because now, of course, Bandai owns Namco Ooh. or Namco owns Bandai or whatever. Right, right. I think it's Bandai owns Namco. So, But this is a crossover game. It has a bunch of different Namco characters. And a lot of people say that it's the predecessor to Namco X Capcom, which in and of itself hmm. was a predecessor to the Project X Zone games. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. For the series that this is featuring, you can play as Valkyrie from the Valkyrie series, like Valkyrie Noboken, mm -hmm. Dragon Buster and Dragon Valor, Dragon Spirit, Tower of Duraga, Genpai, Tomaden, Mappy, Dig Dug, Felios, Wonder Momo, <laughs> Bravo Man, and Family Stadium all have featured characters. And not just like one per game, it's like a lot. Three or four at the very least. Dragon Velour and Dragon Buster alone have over 10 characters. So a lot of characters to choose from in these games. Pretty neat. So this one is pretty interesting. It works like this. You're playing on a square grid, playing against a computer who is also placing their characters on their side, and then you place your characters on your side, and each one moves, and then they make like an action or turn with whatever they do. So if they move and they start fighting, then you would fight, you would do whatever the attacks are or whatever, and uh, then, you know, Afterwards, you can consume these things called spirit points, which will regenerate each turn. The game is divided into different stages, and between each stage, you could visit a shop and prepare. Very similar to Project X-Zone. So if you've ever played a Project X-Zone game, pretty much the same setup. You play a level, you beat the enemies, and then at that point, you're sent to a store in the story mode, like they kind of interject some character for, from some random franchise who is a shopkeeper or shop owner, and they're like, hey, you know, what do you want? And then you buy whatever it is that you need for the items that you might use, and uh, then the next level starts. So, hmm. I don't know. Well, that's it for me, so uh, let's go into your next track. Yeah, so this was one of the major releases for the Wonderswan Color. It was called Blue Wing Blitz, and it came out in 2001. The track we're going to hear is BGM 08, and it was composed by Kumi Tanioka.
Hey ho, welcome back. Uh, that was Blue Wing Blitz from the Wonder Swan Color in 2001. The track was BGM 08 by Kumi Tanioka. I'm trying to remember what this track reminds me of, and I just can't put my finger on it. It's like on the tip of my tongue, but like, it's it's definitely RPG. Um, it's very sad and somber sounding. But is it Bahamut's Lagoon? I don't think so. Have we played a track oh, off okay. that? No, it's something that we played. I don't played. think we have. I, oh, okay. I, I feel like it's a track that we played from like either an RPG or some sort of game, and it sounded very similar to this. It's got that very like sad, somber kind of uh, almost Master System y kind of vibe here. But the tones. <laughs> Everything that's got minor tones now is the Master System too. Right, right. But the tones <laughs> here were a lot sharper and crisper sounding. You know, so musically, like the production on it, it didn't sound as rounded as a master system does. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts on this one? So this one's uh, a bit more simplistic than I, I think some of the other stuff that we've played. I get a, a combination of a couple things. I threw Bahamas Lagoon out there because a good chunk of this track reminds me as well of something. And maybe it's not Bahamas Lagoon. Maybe it's whatever you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. And neither of us can <laughs> remember what the heck it actually is. Mm -hmm. But I get... Whatever that, I'm going to call it Bahamut's Gloon because I don't have any other <laughs> reference in my head. Okay. A little bit of Legend of Zelda, the dungeon theme, and then the whistle from Super Mario 3. That's from the first Zelda, yeah. And Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah. This game, so I think I said that at the end of the last break that this was one of the major releases for the Wonder Swan. It didn't do all that well, although I'm not sure if the game didn't do well because it just didn't sell well, or if it didn't do well because the Wonder Swan didn't have enough market share mm. for them to sell a, a ton of games. But this is another Square game, okay? and it was designed by the Front Mission team. So ah. if, if you're familiar with the Front Mission games, it's kind of similar. It's a tactic RPG kind of game, uh, but it focuses on aircraft battles. So it uses, like actual airplanes is not like mechs and stuff right. but it's different like biplanes and and different types of airplanes and you're on a tactic map with squares and whatnot and you can fly around and shoot and, and do all these other things mm. and it sounds actually pretty interesting like i've not heard of like a turn-based tactical role-playing game that focuses on aerial warfare uh, the closest thing i can think of is probably the like advanced war game i was just gonna the, say that <laughs> Yep, because you got tanks, you got yeah. Uh, like, there's all sorts of battalion there, wars. Not just, yeah, yeah, battalion yeah, wars yeah. or advance wars. Yeah. So, and I've only ever played, I think, the first event. I, I don't even remember. I, I oh, I think it was on the DS. So okay. who knows? I've only ever played one of the games. Mm -hmm. It was quite a bit of fun. I got, I think, about two thirds of the way through the game before like the the difficulty ramped up to a point that I I just just wasn't getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. not usually big on on tactical like on tactical games, Final Fantasy Tactics not my favorite Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. There is something to them that it always, like, makes me interested. And then, like, I've played Final Fantasy Tactics. I got semi-far in it before I was just like, I don't, I'm not enjoying this. Mm -hmm. So there, there, there's something to be said for that, but it seems pretty cool. You know what's interesting about this is that mm -hmm. this handheld has mostly produced, as far as we know, based on this roster of, you know, the small sample of games, almost every single game is either a fighting game or a puzzle game, or a tactical RPG game in some way, shape, or form. It almost feels to me like they were trying to avoid 
action platform type games because there's really not that many. I guess Mega Man, like Rock Band Forte, is probably the closest that we could mm. get to something like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty strange. The assortment of games, very heavy on the tactic RPG games. That's fair. Yeah, they, the Wonders One had a number of just like oddball games. Like there, there's a, there was a number of card-based RPG games right. as well. Mm. Wild Card, I think, is the only one that we have in our list of picks. But I, I know that I came across a number of card-based fighting games or card-based RPGs or whatever mm. uh, on the system, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. But uh, to touch on the composer here, Kumi Tanioka started out doing sound on The Fallen Angels in 1998 and then went on to do music composition in Chocobo's Dungeon 2 in 1998 as well. They have a, a number of Final Fantasy credits here, Crystal Chronicles, and then all of the Crystal Chronicle... Basically, all of the, the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicle games were composed by Kumi Tanioka. Okay. And then you have uh, Mario Sports Mix in 2010, Theatrhythm Final Fantasy, and Curtain Call in 2012 and 2014. And their most recent credit was Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors in 2015. They're credited as Piano. Nice. And on that note, uh, Janine is telling me that we have a Patreon call. Janine, you want to send that on over to us? XVGM Radio, who is this and what can we play for you? Hey, this is Ryan McPherson, and I'd like to request Battle Scene A from the 2001 remaster of Final Fantasy II the Wonder Swan color. All right, Ryan, we can definitely play that for you. So as Ryan said, this is Final Fantasy II on the Wonder Swan color, which came out in 2001. This track is called Battle Scene A, and it's by Nobuo Uematsu. Welcome back. That was Ryan McPherson's Patreon pick. 
He chose Final Fantasy II, which came out in the Wonderswan color in 2001. This track is Battle Scene A by Nobuo Uematsu. Man. This is great. That was fan. I mean, to be expected from a Nobuo Uematsu track, I'm sure it was arranged by somebody. I know that we could not find the arranger, if that is the case, but like... Oh man, so so good. This is—it feels a little unfair compared to every everything else that was in here. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. It's uh, just harkens back to the early Square music mm-hmm. for SquareSoft. But I gotta say, I don't have much familiarity with Final Fantasy II. I've never played it, but. This track really reminded me of something I'd hear in like a later Castlevania game, like maybe something from Order of Ecclesia or Portrait of Ruin. It had a nice up-tempo beat, but there was no drums in this track. Again, missing out on the drums there, but to supplement it, a very kind of chuggy, heavy bass line was present, really kind of led the path, like, you know, almost like a gallop, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. But the, some of those melodies, especially like later towards the track, where it's like a lot of like call and answer type stuff, was <laughs> present. Very Baroque era, so that really, I mean, hey, anything Baroque is gonna get my interest. So I really enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I'm trying to remember. I've played a bit of Final Fantasy II, uh, specifically on the Final Fantasy Origins collection for the PS1. I mm-hmm. did not beat the game. In fact, I'm not even sure how far I got. I think, if I remember correctly, when I got Origins, I wanted to play all the way through 1 and then play through 2. I didn't finish 1. I've beaten 1 multiple times on the NES, but for some reason, uh, when I, whenever I get to the end of 1, when, when you go back in time on the PlayStation 1 version, I just don't have enough resources and HP to get all the way through. Like You basically have to do a boss rush along with all these random battles before you get to the final boss and there's multiple forms of the final boss and on the nes i don't know how i did it because it's the same kind of setup like you don't have the only potion you have is a small like a regular potion which i think is like 50 hp it's Mm. such a pain to actually get through all this stuff i never went back and finished it and i I started final fantasy 2 but i don't know how far i actually got but it's a really interesting system because the first game you, you pick the four character classes and then you go through like that and this one like you level up your skill with every weapon so anytime you change a weapon you sh- you're starting from base zero uh, at that weapon you have to use it a bunch to level it up and I think I think there are character levels too so like there's some math that happens there but it's it's very intricate in how it works but even at that like I don't remember the music well enough to say like oh like I know I, I, I know how this compares to the remaster version in, in Final Fantasy Origins because I just it's been so long since I've touched it I couldn't tell you but uh, this is still like as far as the track goes was really complex even without the drums and uh, and a lot of fun so yeah I can uh, I can get on board with that it's a very fun track and I really enjoyed it so uh, good stuff overall yeah anything specific about this version of the game uh, that you can tell me. I do know that this is one of the first games uh, that I ever played, particularly an RPG, that actually sets you up for failure right in the beginning. And by that, I mean, like, the game opens with this really crazy situation and crazy fight, uh, and and then it throws you into a battle, and you just get stomped. Like, you are not supposed to win the battle, but, I mean, if 
playing mm. the first Final Fantasy, like, I remember how that went. And when I tried this uh, and just got, like, destroyed in the beginning, I was like, that, like, how, what am I supposed to even do? And then as I'm complaining to nobody, <laughs> you know, the game continues. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to lose. Well, that didn't feel very good. Right, also right. I think... No, no, that's the third one. Never mind. I was going to say, I think this is where the Onion Knight comes from, but I, I'm actually pretty sure that Onion Knight is Final Fantasy III, so scratch that. So, Nobuo Uematsu, we've talked about tons on this show. Uh, I don't even really think that we need to get into <laughs> too much about them. I don't know. Pick three random games that they've done. Final Fantasy VII. Rad Racer. Rad Racer. And Last Story. There you go. On the Wii. There you go. Good, Perfect. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, All right, let's move into right. your last pick. Yes. So uh, I'm going to go out with a really weird one. This is SD Gundam Emotional Jam. This came out in the Wonder Swan on 1999. The track is BGM 06, and I was unable to find a composer. <laughs> That was my last track of the episode. We have one more coming at you in just a little bit. But this was SD Gundam Emotional Jam, the 1999 Wonder Swan game that was composed by someone that we could not find. And the track was BGM 06. This definitely has a very frantic Gundam vibe. Yeah, yeah. Very fast paced and it's kind of a short loop. But it, it also has that feel of, like, this feels like it's either battle music or decision music. Like, this feels like there's mm. there's some there's something going on, and I, I couldn't tell you which it was, but I can see both, like, if you're playing as, like, Amuro Ray and you are you have to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to attack this Gundam or you're, you're going to side with the colonists or you're going you're gonna to do something like you have to you're, you're, something important is going on or it could be that you know you're, you're fighting against char and it's the, the end of the game it, 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 this feels like an important track almost um like mm. there like there's something big happening i could also picture this as a narration piece where like you're going through a sea of dialogue um you know and it's very mm. frantic like your ship just got struck or something like that oh. and you're and you're like you know going back and forth like you know mayday mayday something happened and then the other person's yeah. like you know 
what does the scouter say about its power level? And then the other guy's like, it's over 9,000, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and then you end up listening to Konyawa Hurricane from Bubblegum Crisis. I don't know. It's probably Ooh, how it goes. Good, good reference. I like that, <laughs> that series. That's right. Uh, anyways, so this is clearly <laughs> clearly based on the Gundam series, uh, but Esteen Gundam, I, I'm assuming it's chibi style. Right, right. So this is based on like technically the main Gundam series, like Mobile Suit Gundam, um, but it's it's chibified. So you are, you know, if you've ever seen any of the like, there was an SD Gundam show that came out, I think, in the late '90s, early 2000s, and I hated it <laughs> because like the Gundams were sentient, like it wasn't about the people; it was about these these robot mechs that were alive um, right. and th this kind of combines the two it, instead of it being about robot mechs that are alive it's it's about the characters and, and their struggles and everything but all of the fights take place in the Gundams that are chibified so okay it's a little a little on the weird side um, there's also so aside from not being able to find a composer on this game it was also really hard to find information on this game most websites uh, even like Moby Games well Moby Games didn't have anything um, this game does not exist according to Moby Games oh fun uh, the, so the other websites that I could find basically just said SD Gundam Emotional Jam is a strategy game developed by Tom Create and published by Bandai and it was released in 1999 and that's just where they all end but I was able to find mm. a review for this game on GameFAQs and this review was posted by somebody named Kenshi in 1999 so back when this game came out that's how long this review has been up there and it was updated in 2003 oh wow uh, jeez Emotional Jam follows the system of super robot wars involving the Gundam universe uh, with a slightly improved system. Kenshi also says this is a must-have for all Gundam fans and owners of a Wonderswan. Oh. Um, he rates the gameplay at a perfect 10, saying the gameplay is simply incredible. Mm -hmm. Each robot has different stats, and there are a wide range of different Gundams, including the F-90 Gundam, which was one of the movies, and it looks like the Wing Gundam is in here as well. Mm. Uh, Graphics and sound gave it a perfect 10. The graphics are simply incredible. The graphics are on par with the highest quality of the Game Boy games, and each sprite is clear and well animated. I'm sensing a little bias here. A little bit. And, yeah. and, and replay value. Do you want to guess what he what he gave the replay value? Uh, perfect 10. Perfect 10. A wide assortment of Gundams, a lot of replay value. Wow. So here's the funny thing. All three of those categories, he gave perfect 10. Overall rating, 9. What? He I gave every part of the game a 10, and then he gives it a 9? Wow. It's like, uh, I just don't want to, I mean, there's no explanation, but I just assume it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give the game a perfect rating, even though I gave every part of the game a perfect rating. That's just wow. so silly. That's ridiculous. But, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's SD Gundam Emotional Jam. Okay, then. All right. And since we don't have any uh, composer info, we're going to move into our final track of the Wonder Swan episode, and that is from a game that is commonly mispronounced. It's called Weitzblade. Not Weitzblade or Vaultsblade, it's Weitzblade. And this is a Wonderswan release from 1999. This track is called BGM 27, and the only information that I could find was that for the composer was that it was by Nuka Shinji, and there's no info on them on the web other than just his name. So, wow. There you go.
welcome back to XVGM Radio's Wonder Swan episode. We're recovering Wonder Swan and Wonder Swan color games. That track that we just heard was from Vitesblade, which was a Wonder Swan original game that came out in 1999. That track was BGM 27, and it's by Nuka Shinji. I'm hesitant to say it's actually by Shinji Nuka, because Shinji is generally a first name, not a last name for hmm. Japanese people, but sometimes those names can get swapped around on depending on the sites. So I'm wondering if it's Shinji Nuka instead of Nuka Shinji. But That's a good point. Yeah. I couldn't find any information on them as well as this game. There was literally only one review that I could find on this game online on YouTube. So if you're looking for more information about these games, there's a YouTuber, they have a show called Swan Song, and it's just Wonder Swan reviews basically on YouTube, so go check it out. Yeah, and they're, they're really quick. They're all under five yeah. minutes, and it's funny, I wish I had realized before uh, before <laughs> they covered SD Gundam Emotional Jam and a number mm-hmm. of other games that we mentioned here, like Gunpei and, and a few others. So. Yep. Worth checking out if, For if sure. you are interested in hearing more about these games and some some other tracks, because he puts tracks from the games in the in the background too right yeah short simple reviews too so vites blade is a like pokemon style game before we get into the game what do you think about this track it was really cool it felt so I, i feel like at this point we've had a number of tracks that feel kind of classical or baroque uh Mm. and i I don't know i'm struggling to to call this one baroque because it's a term that we use a lot to describe things that aren't always accurately baroque but it has some of those elements there particularly a lot of the classical elements and it felt definitely felt different than the other stuff that we've played but at the same time i feel like it kind of meshes with a handful of other tracks that we've heard tonight. This is another one that I I have no complaints about. I I enjoyed it from start to finish. Mm -hmm. The tone on this one is a little bit more harsh, but it does feature drums, which is nice. It had very sharp, snappy drums, chiptune drums. I don't know. The melodies, as you said, are most likely orchestral-themed, very frantic. It's a very frantic track. I overall really enjoyed it, but I got to wonder when it takes place in the game. I'm thinking it's during a battle. I got the vibe like in Pokemon, because this is a kind of a Pokemon style game. So I got the vibe when like that border goes around in Pokemon where it's like, and I picture this song playing right after that. So I think that's a, that's a pretty accurate way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is initially when you're, starting to play it, it feels more like a traditional like JRPG where you're running around a map in a town, going from place to place, searching for stuff. <laughs> Your character moves really fast, so I, I noticed that when you were moving around, I was like, whoa, Jesus, like, wow, move really fast in this game. But uh, it's, a, it's like a monster hunting type game. The creatures in it are called Vites, which is why it's called Vites Blade, I guess. So there are up to 200 of them, and you can combine them to get more powerful monsters. So it's not really evolving, it's more combining, kind of like Kirby 64 when you combine the powers to uh, uh, to get a you know a singular, yeah. like better power. So that's at least the vibe that I got. But uh, yeah. not much else that I could find on this game, honestly. Go check out that review that, I, that we talked about. I think that'll probably be your best case scenario for <laughs> finding out information. And again, uh, Shinji Nuka or Nuka Shinji couldn't find any information on. So, not much to talk about with this one. Yeah, no, that's uh, fairly simple, straight to the point. I feel like most of the tracks we really stacked pretty high, 
with a lot of information, and then we got to like the tail end of the episode, and we were just like, "Yep, another Wonder Song track. Yep, it's <laughs> it's chippy, it's orchestral. All right, see you later." Like that sort of thing. So yeah, well, I mean, we we also picked for the the last two tracks. We each picked a a game that just didn't have a whole lot of information out there. So very true, fair. very true. All right, now's the time of the episode where we pick our favorite tracks. Justin, what's your favorite one of these? So, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. I, I really, I really thought going into this that there was going to be like a pretty clear-cut winner. I think <laughs> I'm going to go with Ryan McPherson's track, the Final Fantasy II Battle Scene A. And part of me is screaming that it's a cop out because it's it's a Nobuo Uematsu track and it's not fair. But uh, cop that, out. But the, but to that but to you and that part of me, I say, <laughs> shove it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but very very close second is your Namco Super Wars track was was uh, was really cool. Like I said, it was like the first track that I enjoyed from start to finish. And then after that, I would probably say Feel a Fear, the Guilty Gear Petite Two track. Just it had a lot of sounds that really just got me going and, and got me revved up yeah i actually am gonna go with that namco super wars track (laughs) i i feel like it was the strongest of the tracks that we've picked but aside from that i gotta say i really dug that ryan mcpherson final fantasy 2 track as well as the rockman and forte track too (laughs) so good good stuff all around you know a lot of these tracks are just really very minimalist in terms of the instrumentation and everything so they really tried to do a lot with so little (laughs) so yeah that's about it nice nice yeah what did you guys think let us know in our social media links down below in the uh in the readme section there so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patreon patrons without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible they are alex messenger cam warma chris hart Dan Lawton, Jordan and Anson Davis, Kung Fu Carlito of the Heroes 3 Podcast, Scott McElhone, Chris Myers, Mike Carney, Rage Cage, Peter Panda, The Autistic Gamer 89, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Jeremy Rutz, Llama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Nathan Cooper, Nick Davis, and Ryan McPherson. If you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com slash xvgmradio. There you can see the different tiers as well. Just $1 gets you a thank you at the end of the show and access to our monthly live shows. You can visit our website, xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts, as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at facebook.com slash groups slash XVGM radio, where we talk about everything from current game news to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both of those sites is at XVGM radio. If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our Discord group chat. Links will be in the show notes. In two weeks, we return with another brand new episode justin what are we tackling in two weeks so in two weeks we are gonna do something so this wonder swan episode was more or less like japanese exclusives because of the stuff never came over to uh, to america mm-hmm. uh, so we're gonna do something vaguely similar we're still talking about stuff that's not american we're gonna talk about pal 
games. Uh, I think we're going to call it Only in PAL. Yes, PAL exclusive releases. They never came out anywhere but PAL territories. So this will be very interesting. There's a lot of really weird, wacky stuff that came out only in PAL. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think we, we also have a number of those like European computer system consoles that we're going to be uh, that we're going to be touching on. Possibly some uh, some composers that we've wanted to showcase uh, previously and haven't really showcased them as much as I think we'd like. So we're gonna we're gonna have some some cool stuff there. Agreed. All right. So in two weeks we will see you on XVGM Radio. This is Mike and Justin signing off for XVGM Radio. Yeah, I actually really have to agree. I don't know why it sounds like that pains me to do so. It really doesn't. Um, we agree on plenty <laughs> of things. But, but yes. yeah, I, I didn't have a whole lot to, to say about this song other than like 